0: Welcome to the Op Overwatch podcast, a podcast that explores the
1: struggles, experiences, and even the redemption stories surrounding law enforcement. Now here's the executive director of Op Overwatch, Dave Buds. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the first official Op Overwatch podcast. We're here in Op Overwatch Corral, a beautiful 1850s barn structure that um, belongs to Op Overwatch and we're here to have a discussion this morning with uh, a friend of mine for quite a few years now. His name's Dave DiTulio, and I want to introduce him. Dave?
0: Hey. How are you doing there, Dave? Thanks for having me on the show.
1: Our pleasure. So tell, uh, just a quick little intro here, tell everybody kind of the span of your career and what you've done. Okay.
0: Just as long as no one's doing the math out there. <laughs> I um, started out in college as being a uh, rock star, and that didn't work too well, so uh, <laughs> Someone uh, I had met was in the military and suggested that that would be a direction that I might be interested in because I was a diver and a runner. So when school failed me, I went into the military. I did 10 years with the Navy. Uh, Then I went 13 years with the Army. And uh, amidst that time, through all the training, I've gone through uh, the first SEAL selection course for enlisted. I attended class 211. Uh, and got to meet some fantastic people. Um, I realized during the course of that career uh, that it was kind of selfish of me uh, because I would never be home for my wife and my daughter. So um, I chose to go to the Army thinking that would be a smarter move, and uh, that proved to be a challenge as well. But my wife stuck through it uh, for 13 more years, and during that time there's a uh, combat tours and whatnot. Um, I also worked for the federal government, for TSA through Homeland Security as a behavior detection officer. And I did 17 years with that organization. And here I am today.
1: And this is the, the point of the podcast. We we want to talk to men and women that were engaged in law enforcement um, and just kind of get an understanding of their lives, the life of law enforcement, the current state of the way things are going, and just enjoy these conversations. And I know this morning... We'll be very talkative because Dave and I are both on our second uh, tumblers of coffee. So there's no doubt that we will not lack conversation this morning. So that was Dave's brief intro. And now what we're going to do is slow down and kind of pick some of these apart. Um, what Dave didn't mention is that he currently runs uh, an organization called Defensor, Inc. Do you want to briefly tell us what that's about?
0: Yeah, so Defensor, Inc., um, I have limited skills in specific areas in a um, – so it's hard for me to find a place that I fit well. So, in uh, in this industry, uh, we handle firearm sales and training. And uh, the idea was is to take new people in the firearms industry and uh, educate them in the laws and stuff that uh, that I feel are important to keep them safe and families that are in the public safe. Uh, we also train um, corporations and churches in the areas of active shooter preparedness and response, and uh, church security teams. So we're very heavy into the training aspect of firearms.
1: Which is huge nowadays, as you all know, listening out there, that what we're dealing with currently in the United States, uh, ever-increasing is these these attacks that are constantly happening upon um, threat-rich, target-rich environments. So um, it's great to have someone with your skills to be doing that. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to start back. At the beginning, because we want to kind of walk through Dave's life and and how faith and family was incorporated in all this. Now, you were sharing with me even right before the podcast that you grew up in a household of faith. Um, want to share a little bit more on that?
0: Yeah, so I had the textbook uh, image, if you will, of a Christian family. My uh, my mother was probably the the cornerstone of my family. My father was an atheist. Uh, he was a Catholic at first and through Catholicism, he became an atheist, uh, and spent his time trying to prove that there was no God. And through doing that and through my mother's faith, uh, he found through science and through my mother, uh, his faith. And it's a really interesting story. It could be another podcast someday, but, uh, he's an amazing man. My family's fantastic. So I was raised in a very healthy Christian environment going to church, twice on Sundays and once on Wednesdays and fellowships with with other church members and things. So I was exposed to that. So it was a very natural fit for me uh, when I decided in 86 to become a Christian. I I knew it was something I needed to do, and it was a a personal decision I made, but it wasn't like this awe-inspiring, specific moment like some people have.
1: So 86, when were you born?
0: Dave, you're doing this timestamp thing. (laughs) I was born in nineteen seventy one.
1: Ah, oh, you are a year older than me. Thankfully, <laughs> perfect. So, it, so fifteen years old. So, so you are you are experiencing the Lord through your family, and then it's at fifteen where He truly calls you.
0: Yes, yeah. I, I knew it was something I needed to do, but I, I this at that point it was something that that I wanted to do, and I walked into my living room and I turned around to my father and said, "Yeah, you know, Dad, I need to get baptized." He's like, "Well, when do you want to do that?" I'm like, now, hmm. I, I need it now. And uh, so that was kind of the start of it. Um, I think at church I wore complete white for like two months. <laughs> it, just, <laughs> uh, it just felt, it was amazing to, I knew about it, but to actually, uh, to find it myself. Yeah. And uh, so it was pretty neat.
1: So biblical baptism, um, for those listening out there that aren't entirely sure, it's simply what Dave's saying is he got to the point where where he loved, he felt, in love enough with the Lord that it was time to proclaim publicly that yeah. He's Lord, Jesus is Lord of yeah. my life. That's pretty cool. So uh, I got a little bit sidetracked when you mentioned that your dad's an atheist, and through through trying to prove the non-existence of God, was your dad's name Lee Strobel by any chance? <laughs> I, <laughs> I know, mean, right? It's yes. the same story.
0: So he, he kind of followed deeply with John Clayton, is what I was raised with, and he spent so much time teaching that, and um, so it was a really interesting. Uh, thing, but it's amazing. God is amazing. I yeah. mean, you look at the details, even in your eye alone, you know, uh, the sun that never burns out, uh, when he starts uncovering these things, it all points to a creator. And that's what I, he said multiple times. It's actually harder to prove that there is no God uh, because everything points to such an amazing creator. The design is, is amazing.
1: Amen. So buckle up folks, because then now what we have here is a 15 year old boy who's been growing in his faith. Um, with his family's foundation, great story about his father, and at some point, this young man in Christ now steps into the military. So, at what age, and what led you to step into military?
0: All right. So, I have pictures. Fortunately, this is just the radio of long hair hippie Dave. My father uh, was in the Air Force when I was born, so um, he naturally thought I should get in the military, and I was like why man I'm a rock star and um, so I went to college to do that and uh, not to do that I went to college and I was distracted by that um, when, when I had to make a choice the college was telling me hey listen you need to uh, either pick up your grades or get out um, my grades weren't there so I went out and uh, went to a restaurant and worked with my now wife and doing dishes and so here I am uh, I don't know 20 years old doing dishes and I'm thinking this is my life this is where I'm going hmm. um, my drummer was uh, back in college my drummer uh, his cousin was in in the seal pro, in the seals and uh, when he met me he was like hey man you're a diver you're a runner you should do what I do I get paid for this and I'm like what's the seals man I don't know anything about that so uh, when I was doing dishes I was like I got to do something with my life maybe my father was right get into the military and do something and it turned out to be exactly what I needed the discipline that uh, I embraced. I actually uh, enjoyed it. I didn't get in there to, with the plan to uh, retire. I said, as long as I'm having fun, I'm going to still do it. So, so, so Navy. So, so, I start you, out in the Navy. Start
1: Navy. Yep. And you had said you spent 10 years in the Navy, yep. but just because I can't, there's certain things I just can't let pass. So, let's talk about this, this rock this rock career that you're going into. My guess is since you and I are of a very similar age that you're, uh, am I right in suspecting that maybe you were like a long haired eighties metal band? Yes, I was. Yes. Yes. Nice.
0: And imagine that, that going into Abilene Christian university where I went to school (laughs) as a rock star. Yeah. You know what I mean? Throwing my guitar around, you know, and and, who uh, who did you,
1: what eighties hair band did you model yourself after?
0: Oh, I've, uh, the white snake. Um oh, yeah. Those guys. Oh, yeah. 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 That yeah. was a little bit of everything. So yeah. yeah.
1: Huh. That's cool. So even though this isn't video, we might have to get a picture and like maybe put up on opoverwatch.org dot org so everyone can see Dave before and after. So all right, Navy. So you're into the Navy. Um now when you go into the Navy, you obviously don't go right in and say, Hey, I want to train to be a Navy SEAL.
0: There was an option at that point. Um they called it a Fairer program. You can go directly into it. I knew enough. Uh, that the dropout rate was uh, pretty extensive. So um, I opted to go in. I said, uh, you can't just go be a SEAL something. You had to have a rate. So uh, they put you typically in overmanned rates. So they said you could either be a yeoman or a HN. So I'm like, whatever. I didn't, I didn't realize that when I signed up to be a yeoman that I would be sent to Meridian, Mississippi to learn to type. And I was doing officer records and sent to Whidbey Island, where that was uh, in the aviation unit, uh, with pilots who were learning to fly for the first time. And so that's kind of where I started. Um, But that, my intention was, was to train um, pretty extensively until I tried out for it. So.
1: Okay, so take us to the point of tryout. And in your Navy career in these 10 years, is it, do you know combat while in the Navy, right? Or was no, there? No, okay. I, I
0: did deploy with the Navy. Um, I did stuff in the Mediterranean uh, anti piracy missions. So I trained some teams uh, with the guy that happened to go through uh, SEAL training the same time I did. Um, we created these teams to board. Uh, to naval, board pirate ships. Yeah, to, well, board ships to. To uh, protect them and stuff like that. So they would be uh, MS ships, MSC ships that were uh, military supply command, which was like these big oilers. Yeah. And we would basically take over their security on there as they were traveling through uh, the Straits of Gibraltar. and.
1: How long like would that. that typically be out at sea when you're doing that?
0: Um, for a few few weeks
1: okay. at a time. And, so, and in the Mediterranean, who... What particular organization was was pirating the most? What did what did you encounter more in the Mediterranean?
0: So it was it was more um, uh, the African threats okay. coming from that nation like that and, huh. and that. So it was just um, just making sure that these ships were safe and what happened to the U.S.S. Cole uh, from Yemen, things didn't happen again. So we were just just making sure that they uh, they were protected because at that point now we were in in, uh, in the war with you know as a result from nine eleven. And so that was kind of what that turning point. So 2003 is when I left the Navy and went to the Army because at my point in my Navy, uh, I was on these ships in the Mediterranean and I wanted to be in the fight. Okay. Were
1: you ever in the fight on the ships in the Mediterranean or were you guys enough of a deterrent? We were enough of a deterrent. Oh, Uh, that's a great lesson for protecting mass gatherings, offering yourself as a deterrent, you know, building up good deterrent. That's a whole other story. I could go down that, but that's that's different. That's things that uh, Op Overwatch and Dave... Um, with defense or Inc is greatly involved in as far as vulnerabilities and threat assessments of target rich environments and mass gatherings, that kind of thing. So no encounters while, um, working that in the Mediterranean. And at, at some point you, you are training to be a Navy SEAL and you understand the requirements of what a Navy SEAL is. And is that alone what leads into your decision to move to army? Uh, Inadvertently, yeah. The
0: whole time, uh, I wanted to be a SEAL since I cut my hair. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And uh, I did the research. I trained hard. So I brought my wife uh, to Washington, where I was first stationed as a yeoman, uh, doing my thing. And my goal was was very specific when I got there, to start training immediately. And so I'd get up in the morning before I went to work, basically, and I'd run 10 miles a day. Then I'd hit the gym for an hour, and then I would go to work. Then after work, I would go to the the uh, training tank over there where they filmed Officer and a Gentleman, and I would do laps for several miles every day. So nice. my wife would, we had one car. My pre- This is how selfish I was. My wife, my pregnant wife, would take me to the gym. She'd wait in the car while I'm in the gym doing my thing and training. Then she'd drop me off at work. She'd take the car to go do her thing, and then she'd, she'd come back and pick me up after I did all my stuff after work. So I did that for years. Um, How many? I did that for three years.
1: So you are all in on training and, and all been in. ready to go. Yep. So when you say Washington, are you talking D.C. or the state? The state. Okay. Wow. Beautiful state.
0: I, yeah. I loved it out there. We had a great church family over there. Uh, to all the young families out there and anyone who's traveling, that the amazing thing is, is I knew no one. But when you're a, when you're a Christian, you, you have an instant family wherever you go. And I've conveyed that to my daughter and everyone, and I've lived it. I went there. I needed a place to stay. Uh, a church took me in. I needed a car to go find uh, our own place, and uh, someone gave me a car to go and find you know, find houses and things like that to do that. So it was just so many blessings in, in being in the church from that very it's, young it's age. A
1: tr- it's a true statement, and you see it all through Scripture, that when, when Christ is Lord and you're on his redemptive mission, he sends friends. Yeah, He sends support. He sends providence. He sends friends. And it's, it's really cool. I wanted to pause for one second because um, we got plenty of time this morning and I didn't introduce two other people that we have sitting here. And I just want them to say hello really quick. So because at times they will interject on various podcasts moving forward in the future. So let's start with Brett Larson. Hi. <laughs> <Matt>. <laughs> Radio voice, Brett. Hey, guys. How are you? So Brett is uh, general manager of radio station WDCX, and he's also sits on the Op Overwatch board, and he's also chairman of the Center Church, which is a offshoot of Op Overwatch. Um, and then we also have sitting here with us a voice that, as the time goes on, you all will get very familiar with, Joy. Hello, everyone. Joy Thompson. And Joy is, we call her mission support, because that's the best way to describe what she does. She supports the mission of Op Overwatch in so many different ways. And, and we're proud to have her here and can't wait to move forward with these podcasts and everybody wonder who is this joy that just <laughs> brings joy to the podcast. So that's our break to introduce um, other people that uh, would be part of this. Um, but back to this. So now you you're full on, full on in this Navy SEAL training at a point where you're so selfish, your words, that exactly. your pregnant wife sitting in the car while you're training, what on earth, stops you from continuing in that direction
0: it didn't so i kept. <laughs> so then i uh i went to great lakes to uh try out uh in a selection course for enlisted and um so i uh i went to this course there's 25 of us there and i was one of five they graduated there which allowed us to go to get assigned to a class in coronado california so eventually i went from there and uh attended so when you uh, say
1: get assigned a class is that class 211 you mentioned yes okay
0: yep so i was in class 211 down in coronado california and that was a giant wake-up call i mean from day one it was we'd probably average in the morning before we went to breakfast 500 sit-ups push-ups pull-ups dips and flutter kicks that was just to get to breakfast and we were already wet cold and miserable
1: And you're doing this on the beaches by the water. Every
0: well, this was uh there was a, gr- a grinder basically they called with little with little what they had frog feet yeah. that you would they were flippers on the ground. They we would all stand on. There would be a guy in the podium, uh, this muscle bound seal, and he would rein over and hit the music that we all loved on there. And he'd be like, "You ready?" And here we go. And we just get in it and pound it and grind it out, and uh, it was amazing. But it was a, it was. It, it breaks your will man so then the rest of the day is uh running to to and from your your breakfast lunch and dinner uh you're out in zodiacs swimming against 10 foot walls of water uh swimming running to your heat exhausted then you're in 58 degree water to your hypothermic you hit obstacle courses so the whole day is just just getting pounded
1: when's breakfast uh, it's been a long time man but yeah, uh, is it like I, 8 a.m and you start at three or i mean no it was
0: it... it was like uh i don't know yeah probably about eight o'clock is, is my guess I, it's been a while so we're talking almost 20 somebody 25 years ago so
1: and and is uh, just through random stories being passed around um are the stories about swimming in a deep end of a pool until you actually start drowning are those those accurate stories
0: uh no i mean they're not trying to drown you right but they've they're very uh they're very good at what they do and getting you to a point where you do this so i had a swim buddy that was with me in this 50 foot dive tower that we would tie knots in and do breath holds all kinds of things like that and his name was roby and that dude passed out every single time (laughs) he'd be like red light red light pull this dude out and pump his stomach and get a few breaths in him and then he would come to it like i used to tell him you're too stupid to quit you're too stupid to quit man you just and he made it i mean he went through and he he completed it and uh and that's the kind of thing it takes i mean it just takes the willpower yeah. and it takes literally everything and, that, and that's as i was going through that i started to realize that i, I mean i knew about it everyone knows about it. you see movies and all that stuff like that but when you get there you realize that you are and they say that you're married to the teams being a christian family that was the yin and yang for me that was the struggle for me the whole time was am i being my whole life has been selfish dave seriously mm-hmm. i'm a, i'm a skydiver i i even after all that i'd go i I'd, I'd be dragging my wife and daughter to the drop zone so they could sit and watch dad jump all day mm-hmm. you know what i mean like mm-hmm. th- so th- that has always been a struggle in my life is the struggle of what i want and what god's direction for me is but for so i spent a week praying to God while I was in the training going, if this is where you want me to be, I want it. Yeah. I, I really want it. But if it's not, then, then you just point me in that direction. I just felt the calling. I didn't, I didn't quit an evolution or anything. I just said, you know what, I think I'm done. And mm-hmm. my buddy's like, what? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm done. I just, this isn't, this isn't right for my family.
1: So family, balancing family faith and the time commitment, and you, you chose family. Yeah, and you I didn't want to waste their where, time.
0: These are these are stellar guys, top of their game, Yeah, huh. and, uh, and it's a very serious – I took it serious, so I, I didn't want to waste it. I didn't want to just take it right to the end and go, all right, guys, I'm done. I, I knew if I wasn't – if I'm not fully committed, I just – it's time to move on. Yeah. And that's what – I don't say I regret it, but there's not a day I don't think about that.
1: And do you remember the year when you –
0: 96.
1: Okay, so 96 is when you're done with the Navy – and well, no, nope, I still stay in. Okay. I
0: just I stayed in until 2003, and that's when I went to the Mediterranean and all those things like that.
1: So oh, okay. So after. So
0: that was after that.
1: All right, chronologically, and then then army comes after all this. Yeah, then then it was
0: at that time in 2003. I was like, this isn't enough for me. I I feel like I could be used more useful over in Afghanistan or Iraq or something. So that well,
1: so interesting. So you 2003 is when the prior the. The Lord impresses upon you that the priority of family means you've got to you got to step away from this commitment um, to Navy. But then you it sounds like you're about to step into something that's less family. Yeah. Yeah, Well,
0: because it's bigger than me, everything's bigger than me. And I've learned that over life. Um, and, and, And my wife stuck with me for we're going on 30 years this year. And she's an amazing woman, and my daughter is amazing, to mm-hmm. be honest with you. I think they have supported me in everything I do, but they believed that this was bigger than all of us too. Yeah. Uh, I, I told my daughter before I left, I said, you know, she, she was pretty young, but I said before I got on the plane, I was like, listen, those people on 9-11, those families went to work, and they never came home. They're not a part of a war. They're not in the military. They are not. They made this a home game. Dad's going to go make it, make it an away game. Mm-hmm. And, uh, mm-hmm. and I said, this is, this is for them. I and like uh that. totally different. I took uh uh this company, Deval Safety, gave me a um a uh a baseball hat from NYPD. I got a picture of that I can give you next to my rock star picture. Uh-huh. Um, so I wore that over there. Uh and and that just kept me focused on why I'm doing this. All the the law enforcement, the first responders, the firemen, the you know, the families, like this was my I'm 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 here for you guys
1: the enemy made this a home game and we're going to make this a away game. He made this a away game. And, you know that's the things that you're talking about. It's the definition of what a man is. We men are protectors. We are put in place to be men and to fight the enemy spiritually and militarily. It was called upon all the way back to the days of Israel and it's clear that that's what God anoints and puts men in place to be the protectors of the family and it's just cool talking about this because this is the two things, the three things that are balanced in all this. God um, divinely ordaining your direction, you wanting to protect the family, but also now being called to protect this nation and protect many families as a man. And so so you, you take that call. So just really quick for people like me who are out there listening and don't quite understand how it works, how do you transition from Navy to Army and then overseas how does that i mean what what is the process of doing that is it hard
0: surprisingly not i, I thought i just asked the question and i was like what are the how's that happen and uh, was able to do that and some of my experience overseas or with the navy translated very well over to the army um i went through training with them uh we were part of a reconnaissance surveillance and target acquisition uh was our company or our unit and uh we were part of a bigger uh reconnaissance asset and so um so we got you know basically spent the next uh up till 2007 when i deployed 2008 i'm sorry 2008 um Spent all that time training and getting prepped for for that mission like that.
1: So from 04 to 08, essentially. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I
0: did other missions uh, locally because what I did is I went into the Army National Guard, and I used to make fun of the Army National Guard, right? <laughs> we called them the nasty guard, right? Uh-huh. And and I think at one point it was kind of more like a, a, a local militia drinking club, right? Mm-hmm. Not anymore. Uh, in Afghanistan, seventy percent of the fighters over there were National Guardsmen. Wow. Uh, the amount of training that we went through. I got snipers that went through active duty Army sniper school, like are skilled at what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, went through Pathfinder school, uh, reconnaissance trainer. We were we were our specialty was rotary aircraft insertion, so we'd take CH forty sevens, Blackhawks into missions, uh, throw Zodiacs into the water, ride in, swim into shore, do our thing, come back, get back into there. Um,
1: Is special forces a, a legitimate term?
0: Um, I would say special forces. Uh, capable. we That's what we worked with, but okay. Okay. Um, we, that wasn't our thing. I mean, I would never put myself at, th- at those guys, but that's who we worked with overseas and okay. stuff like that. So we were side by side with...
1: And so you said, get to land and do your thing. So what's your thing? Uh, either uh, reconnaissance, gaining intelligence
0: and information, but overseas in Afghanistan, pretty much everyone was doing the same thing. We were working with the host nation, taking a group of Afghans and training them to kick in doors and and clean up the Taliban.
1: Yeah, because reconnaissance, um, gathering intel can come in a multifaceted ways. Yes. So yeah. your, your, your specific task is to kick doors in the homes.
0: Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, into villages. Mm-hmm. So And gain intelligence, too. So it was training the Afghans that were there because they weren't doing the job, mm-hmm. right? Training them how to, how to fight, defend their country, and, and how to use the equipment that's been given to them. Uh, Take them in there, and then we would go into villages, and we would meet with the village elders, and get the kind of the pulse of what's going on in that area. What's the Taliban doing? What do you need? Do you need schools? I got civil affairs people I can hook you up with. Um, Do you need? You know, we we would uh, bring medical supplies and stuff to them. So
1: there's your intel gathering, and you got a quid pro quo going as you're offering them things for their intel. Yep.
0: And the Taliban would be right there. Yeah. They would be disguised because the the thing overseas is is no one wears a uniform. Yeah, But Taliban wants nothing more than me to die. And mm-hmm. you can see it. Like I've never seen someone give me a look like that except for overseas. You can tell when someone looks right through you mm-hmm. and wants, they don't care. They don't care about their life. They don't care whatever it takes to do that. But we would go to these meetings and no one would have weapons. So there's nothing I could do. But I could tell when I'm shaking the hands of all the village elders and one guy comes up to me, he doesn't shake my hand and he's got a certain look. And he and I both know Mm. who he is but he's part of that meeting mm-hmm. and when we leave the potential of him killing that village or the people in there if they cooperate with us so that was always the the challenge in those in those meetings but
1: is it always is the is the meeting always uh infiltrated by someone from Taliban or are there times when you're meeting with people and the Taliban's not When there? we
0: when we did what's called a shura when we vi- meet bring the village elders in from all over uh-huh. that's when they would come in when okay. we would just surprise go into a village yeah Kind of what I would say is kick the beehive, trying to find, trying to make them come out. Mm-hmm. You know, we would go into a village and kind of just meet with the village elder and sit down with them and do that. And oftentimes those were really good meetings. But uh, but yeah, occasionally they would be be there.
1: All right. So you're how old are you now? Well, eighty. I mean, seventy-one. Uh, to, this was two thousand and eight. So. So thirty-seven. Yeah, somewhere. Yeah. yeah. So I'm um, older
0: than like I'm just a team. So when we got down there, we got we. uh I left my guy like my company, and now I'm just a team out there so i'm a I'm the team sergeant I have a team chief who's who uh is a major and uh and I was in charge of the guys from the enlisted side like that okay and so there'd be twelve of us um, two were sent two were sent to um Hellman province to work with the marines, the first marine division that was a mess down there that was. 20 30 ieds on the roads every single day like that was a mess down there so the marines down there i give them you know they they took heavy casualties down there and uh and my guys were down there i was legitimately worried about them but two of them were separated from us one guy was always on rotation away so basically my team was nine guys and so when we would do patrols um we'd split those nine guys up and uh so typically i would have three gun trucks um, and they would be anything from Ford rangers to to uh, up armored humvees you know we'd i'd put a guy in the turret and one guy in the driver you know so there'd be three of those so two four six people so there's three, uh, three americans now think about this hmm. three americans so i'd have my major and the medic with him uh and then the afghans and then i'd be another team so it's just me by myself. I remember walking down like two o'clock in the morning, all painted up, ready to go. I'm the only American with these guys. They could do anything they want with me. And Jeez. just thinking.
1: <laughs> like, Talk about having to put your faith in the hands of God.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So the guys on the Overwatch, I knew that they were kind of watching our yeah. sector,
1: but they're looking down. They, they were my
0: quick reaction team if something crazy went down, right? They're the only hope I've got because we're just a small team. So when you're entering
1: into a village, you have Overwatch.
0: I have guys yeah pla- placed places so that they can yep. and, and we're all attached on the radio so communication when when I when I do my sermons and stuff like that I talk about you know our comms is so important I have, we have direct communication with God mm-hmm. and and overseas not only did I have God but I had direct communication with guys who could help me and that's it's a direct parallel and we can't when we had problems or when, if we ever left what we called the wire the the safety of our our little firebase if that's even a word you know yeah. is uh, is um if you don't have communication you're nothing uh huh So that that lifeline, that communication, is something I talk about all the time. When I put my headset on to preach, I'm
1: just like, this just Ah, reminds me of connecting. I was just going to say, that's a sermon. Yeah, it's a whole sermon. Same thing with the Lord. Don't call yourself a child of God unless you have communication with him. Without
0: that connection, you're nothing. Mm -hmm. That's the same overseas. So I worked with uh, a group called the Omega Group. That's the CIA. And uh, they were made up of uh, Delta Force guys and um, SEAL Team 6 guys from DevGrew. And uh, I worked with some high-speed dudes, man. They were, uh, but if we, we main priority was to have communication. So they all used to work, to, you know, separately. And then when we come together for these big missions,
1: we would all have to tie in mm-hmm. and, and hook up
0: and know what each other's plans are. So,
1: so talk, tell us, uh, paint a picture for, for us of um, some of the incidents. Because when you're, when you're a man of faith and you're entering into combat, severe traumatic combat. Um, and you're, you're not only taking lives, but you're seeing lives taken around you. How do combat and faith in Christ walk hand in hand and, and how did it test your faith? But start by just kind of breaking down one particular story or two particular stories of some of the most severe combat that you faced. (laughs) Deep. Yeah. Um, well, I mean just
0: just from day 1. Like I didn't know what to expect, right? So when we landed in country, first of all, I mean we trained at Fort Bragg for 3 months to prepare for that. And uh there's nothing to prepare you when you when that that C17 door opens and you the 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 smell of that country smells like hmm. a farm for lack of a better word. Like hmm. it's just not uh, worse, you know. But then the heat hits you, and it's anywhere from 120 to, we've had days of close to you know, 130, 140 degrees out there, and you're like, man, like that. And we'd be climbing elevations of 5,000 feet or more with all this gear and stuff, Full right? gear. So when we, when we land in Afghanistan, and we, our whole company comes into one place, and now we're starting to get assigned areas to work. So my area was uh, Kandahar to start with. Mm-hmm. And um, so there was a team that was already out there, so I'm going to take my guys and replace them. So we did what was called like a left seat, right seat. So my job was to go out there with my uh, major and meet our, rep, the ones that we're going to replace. And so what they would do is they would take us out with them on missions and go like, hey, these guys don't trust them. These guys you can totally trust. This road, you better pay attention. Uh, and, and they give us all those kind of intel that we can, right? And uh, I, day one when i meet him i mean we passed a bus that was meant for us that was blown up and sheep were all over the place like it was just destroyed and i'm like man well this is day one of me getting there before i bring my guys out there mm-hmm. and then we get into the uh, the base camp there and out from 150 meters away we just start taking fire like i was just like man this is day one day one hmm. right so uh, now fast forward that um I'm picking up my team and, and the team these guys are getting ready to leave and now my team's taking over. And so before they leave, they give us this parting gift. It's uh it's a G.I. Joe. You might be too young to know who this is, but G.I. Joe, I was like, This is the man, right? So they gave me this little G. I. Joe, and they're like, Take this. This is giving us good luck the whole time. I'm the, like a figurine. You know, yeah, a figurine. Yeah. So I'm like, God's got his hand, but you know, I'll take anything, man. At this <laughs> yeah. point now, like it's crazy out here, whatever, right? So I'll take this G. I. Joe. So we take this G. I. Joe, I bring my team out and like we're out doing, you know Patrolling, Just, like, come and get us. You know what I mean? And nothing's happening. My guys are like, dude, we trained all this training. Like, and day one, you're taking
1: on fire. Yeah, now. and I now thought, like-,
0: like, I thought this is how it's going to be. But then we get out there, and, like, the team's like, really? This is it? There's nothing's going on? Like, what are we here for? And uh, so we decide to sit around this fire at our little base. And we take G.I. Joe, and we stick him on this stick. We tape him up on there and we sacrifice this. Oh no. So we're like, we want we're here to fight, man. So we we and I am telling you, the second we did that, rockets flew over our head. And Come it was on. like the start of our our thing. And I was like, oh my and so so my guys know this, right? But my major doesn't know this, my team chief, right? He's like, What's going on, man? What happened? Like, like, like just this pace change, you know what I mean? He's like, Where's that G.I. Joe? And I'm like, uh, yeah, about that. Oh, oh my god. He's like, "You did what?" Because he's like totally, you know, so GI Joe is not with us anymore, but uh but nonetheless. So
1: Very interesting. Joy, do you know who GI Joe is? Okay. 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 <laughs> okay. So, we have way too many Kens in America right now and not enough GI Joes. <laughs> And it's, it's interesting that as you sacrifice the manly G.I. Joe, the attacks start coming. And just to get philosophical and spiritual here, as we have more Kens in America than we do G.I. Joes, it makes us susceptible to the enemy and to the attack. Kens. Yeah, we got way, Kens. way too many Kens. Driving Barbie's pink. Although he was uh, driving like, Barbie around. Incredible. Yeah, but it was so, a pink car. Yeah. So, but, G.I. Joe was fighting overseas so Ken could drive Barbie around true. in his fancy car here.
0: That's a whole other podcast. Yes, And it then is.
1: Ken became a worship leader. Yeah, <laughs> and put on skinny jeans. skinny jeans yes. for that we need more mm-hmm. explanation oh, man. so you sacrifice gi joe and and as a result of that the rockets begin flying not as a result of that but you we you guys get what oh, yeah, we're going yeah. here
0: so so we're go. in uh so the uh, little background on uh we're in kandahar in a place called fab mahalik and that was like the cia's little spot there and um, Bob Mahalik uh, was a guy from Special Operations. They, they took that base over from Muhammad Mullah Amara. He was the main kingpin. That, uh, where That base is where Osama bin Laden and his guys, you see the training videos mm-hmm. of them jumping over obstacles and training before they came here. That was the last known location before they all separated to fly out to go get the planes. Mm. So there's a lot of history in that spot there. So what the CIA did is they took that over and said this is our place now and so we raised the american flag there and we put a light on it and just said here come and get it right mm-hmm. so that was kind of like the and i was like yeah this is why i'm here man uh-huh. let's do this i mean if we're gonna do this let's do this thing you know what I mean? um so g- great guys over there part of uh you know when i when i met the major that i was replacing he's like dave i want to take you to some of your guys there so i'm like what is that and he goes let's go over to C- to the cia area here it's called the omega group and I walk in there, and these guys are in man dresses. As we called them, right? MP5s, beards, and everything. Like they're like, "Hey, what's up, man? How you doing?" Like that. And they're all frogs, you know, seals mm-hmm. and stuff. And they're getting ready to go out on their mission and, and do their thing. And I was just like, "Man, this is this is a great opportunity for my guys who've never been around this and these kind of guys, you know, these caliber of guys and stuff." So, um, so we, we didn't do everything with them, but we flew around in hind helicopters. We we um, did joint missions and some things with them and. Um, I got to know some some people really well through that environment.
2: Hmm.
1: So, um, any of the did you want to get into any of the stories? Yeah, yeah. Of, yeah. So, of um, where you're you're encountering?
0: So, th- throughout my whole uh, whole time there, I didn't expect. Like, we came across IEDs, uh, improvised explosive devices, lots of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of them, and there just wasn't enough assets out there to. To take care of those. So, uh, for example, we were on a patrol and we came across one. So, when we come across one, we back off from it. We shut our radios down and and put perimeters on it. And make sure there's no. It's either going to be command detonated, you know, physically with with uh, you know a physical line going to it, right? Or it's going to be remotely de- detonated. So we're trying to find the shooter or the uh, the uh, the player in this. But then I, what I would do is I would call EOD to come in and handle that explosive. You know, the guy with the suits and everything, right? Yeah. Well, we sat there for eight hours because I can't leave it because my other troop, you know, other teams might be out there and they might come across and step on it or whatever and, or whatever, you know? So <clears throat> after sitting on that for eight hours and you don't sit in Afghanistan for eight hours, mm-hmm. you become a target. So after that, I went back to my, my, uh, special forces guys and was like, listen, I need 60 pounds of C4. I need dead cord, M68 plungers, uh, time fuse, and that. So I was a walking explosive, man. So what I would do is I would, you know, take a uh, metal detector and walk up for any secondary explosives because one would be kind of like obvious, and then they would plant stuff because they know you'd walk up on it yeah. and get you before you get there. So mm-hmm. so I just became that guy. I became the guy that walked up on these explosives and kept my team out looking to make sure there was no one else out there. and. That's a long walk, Dave. That's like, that's like dead man walking. You know, like in a in jail cell, you're going to your execution. Because in my mind, day one, I guess to revert back, day one when we got that firefight was close and stuff, I was like, that's when it hit home. I was like, this isn't the Mediterranean anymore. Like this is, I'm probably not coming home. Mm-hmm. And It was probably the best, best thing for me mentally because I accepted that. I'm like, God, this is, this is just in your hands. I'm going to do what I got to do. It's 100% in your hands. Mm -hmm. And I had to come hard thing is you got to kind of compartmentalize your family. And so it wasn't until uh, we were done with the mission. I'm smoking a cigar because that's how you handle world problems over a cigar yeah. and just chilling there and just letting everything come down is when I started to let myself think about my family, call them on my sat phone and uh, talk with them, which is amazing. The technology now I could be on a mountain and be like, Hey honey, how you doing? Oh, got to go. That is amazing. Um, But, uh, so we'd be out there and um so I'm the guy walking up in there and so I just remember thinking to myself Man, with a metal detector with a metal detector and all and my stuff to place charges on these and blow this thing up yeah. right because you can't leave it there right mm-hmm. and so um so I remember doing that and just thinking God, this is me and you. And I guess the best place to be when you're on an explosive is right there. Because if it went off, I figured I wouldn't know it anyways. But right. I'm not I'd just be like, God, hey, it's, how you doing? It's, it's the way, it's the way to go. <laughs> I don't I guess it, you know, and I kind of just accepted that, right? And I didn't I didn't want my friends, you know, my 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 teammates to do it. I was like, I'm the guy. I'm 30 something years old and I'm mature enough and I'm a Christian, so let's do this. You mm-hmm. know, so I didn't realize the toll it was gonna take on me until I got home. And my dad would be like Dave what's going on with your hand I'm like what I'm like looking at it, I'm like I didn't feel like didn't feel different but I'd look at my hand was shaking and I'm like he's like what's going on I'm like I don't I think it's just all coming too. like why am I here I shouldn't be here mm-hmm. that, that and there's many times uh when I came back home after that I was just like I just knew I was gonna die out there I just it's crazy and God, God is amazing but um. Yeah. So I've got pictures of that that I could show you where I'm actually on an IED and placing charges. And so you're and, a
1: walking uh, explosive, looking for an explosive. Yeah. I got to just gotta care,
0: I gotta be able to get rid of it because you can't just go shoot it because it becomes unstable mm-hmm. then. So you got to make sure you take care of it. So I'm placing C4 charges on them and and time fuse and give myself two minutes. And
1: who's got and your one. back? because you're exposing yourself.
0: Well, walking. my team. So what very I very slowly.
1: Yeah. So my team is um, what
0: I'm doing with them is I'm putting them looking out. See, I didn't want them to. I tried to protect them. I had some young guys on my team mm-hmm. I tried to protect them from the crazy things that i've seen over there like body like my job was I worked with the FBI actually you'd probably find I, I should have, I meant to bring his name but he was there and he worked the case with nine uh, eleven trying to figure out like check you know check for uh, you know remnants from the explosions and stuff and see mm-hmm. if he can tie something you know find out who they can tie it to so he taught me how to do like a battle damage assessment like re redo that whole explosion from the from the uh, inside out and take DNA samples. So I'd be on the bodies. I'd be doing um, bat and hide scans of their face or retinal scans because when they get in the system, then uh, that tells us everywhere they've been checked in, what country they were in, where they traveled to and stuff like that. So they get put into the system like Hmm. that. Right. And then I would take blood samples if I needed to, you know, uh, fingerprints. If I, you know, like I put a hand in a bag one time. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I had a guy's head right next to my foot. They blew himself up, you know, um, and so there's a lot of a lot of bodies yeah. in my head, you know what I mean, and a lot of explosives that I was dealing with, and so I tried to keep them. So anytime we were in a scene like that, I'd put my team looking out so that I can I can do this night and in protecting them, I didn't realize the toll it would take when I came home, yeah. and um, now I'm like all these bodies, this just. The smells like like everything. Was Do you like,
1: does your does pts come back when you have that farm smell that specific farm smell? Do you ever notice that?
0: Um, not so much now because it's been been you know since two thousand nine when I came back. So All I've right. had a lot of time to to work through some things that um that would take some challenges. But uh, but yeah, some things trigger, but not like people think. Like I'm out, like I'm just like complete meltdown. I can I can go to Fourth of July parades and hear fireworks. I'm not, uh huh. <laughs> I never understood that for people, but I guess because probably because of my age, right. and my where I was at, in this thing. So, um, so uh, fast forward now. Well, before
1: you do, so you a lot of bodies in your mind. Any any bodies of your own men or? Yeah. Americans? So uh,
0: June twenty first, um, June twentieth. Because I, I never saw any other American. Like when we were out there, like it was just our team. Yeah. Right. So I. So when we got to. It was you and Afghani's. Yep, yeah, yep. And, you know, just my team and the Afghans, right? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what we lived with. And unless we went, like, obviously I went in to go get, like, repairs to a vehicles, pick up ammunition to the main bases. You know, the bases that, you know, like, uh, Garth Brooks comes to sing at, you know what I mean? Like, I never right. see him because he's not coming to my base. Yeah. He's going to the, <laughs> the one that's like, no one's going to go attack, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, like that. Um, so when we go there to get repairs done or pick up ammunition or resupplied or something like that, um, that's where I meet guys. So uh, we were out on... On the road and uh, met uh, this team that uh, was guys from my platoon, and we had breakfast with them. It was fantastic. It was like, dudes, how you doing, man? And we were sharing stories and and all that. And then uh, so we were out on patrol uh, the next day, June 21st, and uh, I gave word that that team was wiped out. Wow. Like they just got ambushed in an area that uh, that we that we are familiar with and have been down. Uh, bolt they got hit from so basically what happens they blew up the front the lead vehicle killed the uh the major or i'm sorry the colonel uh the driver and the guy the guy in the turret and everything they just it blew that thing 25 feet up in the air and a, a hole you had to climb out of probably half the size of this building depth wise like that so they destroyed the front one which stopped everything in the back every vehicle from behind there and then they just hit them hard from both sides like 25 25 yards away wow! and just got pounded. One of my guys, You're Mangano... You were just with them the day before. Yep, Mangano, uh, great dude, just got married before he left. Guy, guy paid for outside insurance, not just the military, to really take care of, like his wife would be taking care of. you know. And I was like, mm-hmm. dude, why are you doing that? That's like jinxing you. We were joking about it. Yeah. And uh, on that day, um, he was in uh, a Mark 19 up on the turret, and he was firing back trying to just fight for everything he had. And a rocket went through the the plates that protect you behind the gun, you know, mm-hmm. went through the plates, went through his plates that he's wearing through that one and back out the back plate and it just cut him in half mm. and he died firing, still firing like that. But wow. just, yeah, just incredible stories of, yep. of what, you know, what these guys went through and stuff. But so, yeah, that was hard to um, to guys that we literally just seen talk to and now it became real. And, uh, so
1: and did you? Were you in combat where you had to take lives?
0: Oh yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Yep. So you also so, so
1: you're you're balancing faith with that.
0: Yeah, that was a challenge. I mean, I, everyone asked me that. You know, how can you do that and be a Christian? And uh, you know, you read countless stories where, if God had His way, we'd be wiping out men, women, and children, mm-hmm. and taking everything. Mm. and yeah, we don't fight like that now it's like when the hearts and minds garbage that they got out there now like we're so strategic now that we could be talking right here and in the bathroom next door there i could have a rocket hit that and take out a bad dude you know what yeah. i mean and like and that doesn't affect us mm-hmm. right and and combat is combat's dirty combat has a reason why they do what you do so you have to break the will of the people if it doesn't affect us in this room hey stay here as long as you want man i'm not You know, and so you got to get to a point where the people are like, get them out. Like, let's take care of this. Let's get this country back under control Hmm. and not let the Taliban do it. Because if they all united, Taliban wouldn't be an issue.
1: That's amazing that you just said that. Get these people out here because Dave and I were studying the word together with about 15 other men this morning. And we happen to be studying the portion where uh, God's word, God's presence is kept in the Ark of the Covenant and the Philistines capture it and the destruction to the Philistines because of the presence of God is so devastating that what do they say? We have to get this out of here. Yeah. Yep. Yeah.
0: And, and so those are the stories I just told myself, you know, I, my biggest thing, I guess, and I've said this to myself on patrols, I just say, first of all, I, I can't imagine being on the other side of us because our technology, what I had capable of doing, my night vision would be, I could put thermos on there and see your heat signature on it. Like I got some crazy stuff, you know, oh. I could see you from 12.2 miles away and, call a rocket in and in that so
1: so when you come back to the states do you bring do you bring a survivor's remorse with it because or guilt with it because of the fact that you're doing these these yeah the, you're you're on these missions where you're walking up to bombs and you're not losing your life but then people around you are yeah, is that a struggle I careful i i
0: that's probably my biggest struggle man is i don't know why i'm here i don't know what God's plan is yeah I wish you could just come down and say, like, here's your tablets, this is what you're doing. Yeah. Like I don't you know, this is it. But it's um I'd like to I, I I have a great story of why I shouldn't be here, and I'll tell you that story in a second, but I shouldn't be here. But I am. But yet what do I tell the families when I come off that plane in the US and say, sorry you lost your son? What do you say to that? So I knew when I went over there, and I and I'm quick to say this to people is like I knew I went over there. I was good with dying if I did. if that's what God God says He's going to take care of me. He's going to take care of my family. Whatever it is, it is what it is. If if God sees a bigger plan in that, it is what it is. And I just I know that God. I don't want to leave my wife and daughter. The hardest thing I ever had to do was put my daughter to sleep, knowing I may never see her again. Like it, just yeah. think about it now. I just that's probably worse than than combat, you know
1: um i can put myself right there yeah to look at him and say this
0: may be the last time and yeah yeah, that's
1: (laughs) i don't i don't like doing
0: that so in fact uh i'd send my guys home uh one at a time to do the rotation so i didn't i wasn't going home i didn't go home i was like i can't say goodbye a second time let's do the let's just do this thing and get it over i'd love to see her but i need my head in in the game you know Mm -hmm. um but it had a toll on me not -hmm. being home not just you know, every day under that kind of uh, stress like that. So um, October 20th, 2008, um, we were on, a, I took my team out on a on a, on a patrol. We are going 5,000 feet elevation. We went into four caves. We were looking for weapons caches, um, Taliban. We went into villages just trying to find, like we knew they were in the area. We were just trying to bring the fight out. As we were doing that, get a call over the SAT radio saying, hey, uh, one of your uh, checkpoints is being overrun. And what they mean by that is that our Afghans that we've been training are in strategic places, and they're just making sure that any vehicle that comes through, anything like that, there's no weapons, there's no Taliban, anything like that. Well, this this checkpoint was a small checkpoint. It was getting overrun. So I'm like, all right, guys, end this mission. We've been out for two days now, so now it's uh, the 22nd and uh so instead of going back and refitting like that we're just, no sleep or anything like that we just load up with ammunition and stuff and i'd tell uh the team of uh special forces guys back at the thing i said listen just stay on the phone ready in case something happens i don't no idea what we're walking into crazy so so it's literally me and just two other gun trucks uh my major who was the team chief he was on vac- he was on his family time mm. right so it's just me running this team I got two guys on, uh, on uh, leave, and I got another two guys that are in Helmand Province working with the Marines. So it's just just awesome. We're rolling in this thing. And there was already a team there that got there because the word, kind of like law enforcement, right? The word goes out and people show up, right? right? So there's just one other team, and they're sitting on top of this, what's the word? Just, just sitting in the open, right? They're sitting in the open, and there's this big ditch that goes down, and then there's a village, and you can just, you can you can hear the gunfire and stuff. So we roll up in there. I'm like, you know, what's going on? What's going on? What are you guys doing? What do you want to do? And this guy's like, I'm not going to give his name as much as I'd like to. Hmm. He just lost all command and control and just sat there. I'm like, we are not sitting here. Like, I'm not keeping my guys here. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Because it's just, uh, I got out of my vehicle to go to his to talk to him. And when I stepped out, rounds hit next to my foot. And it wasn't just from there. We were like surrounded, right? It made national headlines i meant to bring it today and i didn't bring it but uh <clears throat> um so he's not moving so i'm like you figure out what you got to do i'm i'm taking care of this like i'm not going to just sit here and die like this you know, like that so I, I get i link up with the afghans we get down and we move down into it and we start bounding forward returning fire and calling that and uh i get with the afghans there and they were cool man because they weren't Normally they're just like Allah Akbar, and they're just running and just shooting. Like I'm like, what are you doing? Like it took us everything to teach them not to do this and just spray. Like yeah, I get you. I believe in God and I think He can do it, but you need to save your ammunition. You know what I mean? I can't carry that much, so I got what I got. Like you have to have a name attached to this, you know? But these guys, it was so cool because the training finally. Like, you're starting to see the results of that. Like, they were waiting for me to tell them, all right, this is the plan. Let's. This is what we're going to do, uh-huh. even amidst chaos, you know. I've got a picture, um, another one I can show you, where we are pinned down. We're on the ground. I'm looking at him laying on the ground. We got rounds flying, and I got my helmet camera on, and we're just like, you could just see it. Like, it was just, it was crazy, man. And, um, and so, uh, you know, I get out of my vehicle, and I'm, I'm calling out targets. I look at my gunner, and he's like, He's looking at me with this look on his face like, we're going to die, <laughs> right, mm-hmm. Dave? Tell me we're going to die, right, just so I, I know I can accept this thing, you know? And I'm looking, I'm like, listen, you need to get back up in the gun. He says, my gun's jammed, my gun's jammed. And I'm like, you need to relax and do what your training is like that. Pull out your ammunition. I can't, it's got a strap. I said, cut the strap. He cut the strap. <laughs> okay, I got it. And you working through it, and he got it like that. But I remember looking at it. I'm thinking to myself, yeah, we're going to die. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to die. But I can't show it because I'm the guy. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, I can't be like, game over, man. We're all going to die, like in uh, Aliens. You know what I mean? Like, So... I'm looking at him. Rounds are literally just flying off, flying past. I hear the crack of the bullets flying past my head and stuff, and and, uh, we're calling it out. I look at one of my guys. His name's uh, Tomo. Tomohito Tsutsumashida, right? We call him Tomo. Okay. He's so small that and he wanted to be on the gunner. I'm like, you can't even look over the turret, right? So I had to build a Tell box. I had to build a box to put him on. He's a Filipino, oh, right? That's great. I had to build a box for him to stand on it. So I remember for a split second, in all this chaos, I look over and I just see him, and I'm thinking to myself, like, this is like the Enola Gay. Like, His truck became the Enola Gay. Like, He was just like, he was like laying it in there, but he's a small guy. and If we get to it, I can get to it, but we'll talk about some other things. But
1: Why do I picture minions when you're like, he's on the gunner? hilarious just, like i just I was like
0: you're like a kamikaze like a, that is I, yeah. yeah it's probably horrible so many levels but uh, but anyways um so I, we were going through a lot and and at the end of the day i just i said to god i was like listen these are my guys i said do not let them die because of me i mean that's what it was i mean we're probably going to die just don't let it be my stupid mistake you know what i mean we let us do what we got to do and if, if we get wiped out we do I mean, i was you know we're calling on the radio we need we need supplies because we're going to run out and this will be the last transmission you get from us like it's we're getting crushed you know what i mean
1: just to make clear for people listening that do not have a relationship with the lord a man of god in conversation with god in this moment is this something that that what you just said there is this a conversation that's, that's all through the time that you're overseas, you're constantly having with God, or, or and, this is a conversation at that very moment that's filtering through your head as you're going through this? The, you
0: I don't know how you, I don't, well, I jump out of planes. I don't know how you do that without being in conversation with God. Yeah. Like in any the, like if you don't have a relationship with Christ, I don't know how you do any of this stuff because I don't know I wouldn't I don't know how I would have done that. Mm-hmm. I don't know how I'm here today to be able to talk with some of the stuff I've seen. But so there for me, there was a conversation with God all the time, but it was more of a just uh God, how you doing, man? Yeah. It's like if there's if God's ever not anywhere other than you with me right now, like this country represents the lack of God, mm-hmm. like so against what's going on. So I just, I pray that I'm on the right side. That was my conversation all the time. I want to I do what you want, but I want to make sure I'm on the right side of this fight because mm-hmm. I don't trust, you know, I don't want to say that. <laughs> you know, my government, I've seen a lot of stupid stuff from my government. And uh, Yes, we have. But, uh, I, you know, but that wasn't for me to decide. God's in control of everything. I just want to make sure that, you know, if I'm fighting and I'm doing what I'm doing, I want to make sure it's your blessing. So that was my, as a Christian, that was my, Conversation all the time. Well, this conversation
1: and just sorry to interrupt again, but it's it's interesting because you have, you're having a macro level conversation yeah. about everything, the purpose that you're there, the nation, all that. But you're having a micro level conversation about you and him and your survival and your protection of your guys. Lord, don't let this. If we die, don't let it be because of me. Guide my hands, make me strong to battle.
0: Yeah, yeah I just and that was that was a hey, God, I'm here. Like yeah. I know you're here now, so let's just let's I need you only way i survived was because of god that's Mm -hmm. what i tell people the Mm -hmm. only reason i'm here right now i got pictures i've got pictures of these ford rangers that we had there was bullet holes in the gas tank there were bullet holes in doors that should have taken you know those who were sitting in those seats out there was bullet holes in the engine block there was every one of my guys had different you know uh magazines for the ak-47s my Afghans had bullet holes in the magazines. Like, that's how close it was. Mm-hmm. Like, not one injury, not one death in that thing. It's amazing. In this battle. In this battle, nothing. And yet, we took out 31 guys. We captured 20. And I took, I in that conversation, when I said, God, it's you and me, in that second, after that, we intercepted of phone traffic. And we got... All th- we figured out who the enemy was that we were fighting. They were three t- top military commanders for the Taliban on the J-PAL list. One of the most wanted. Huh. And when we, because before that, they were like, sorry, we don't have help for you. Yeah. Like, I was like, dude, we are literally, God, this is you and me. Like, when that call came out, like, it was like, yeah, this is it. Let's do what we got to do. But when that call came out, we were able to let them know, the higher organization, let them know, hey, uh, I've got three guys that you want to know and then when they recognize those oh we got those names oh yeah all of a sudden now yeah. it's like yeah we had B b-52 you. bombers three 500 pound bombs who intercepted uh, that
1: intel i mean how does that get to you so fast
0: because we're able to to pick up that's what i mean this technology we got can you can intercept you can like tap into radio waves that are out there uh-huh i can uh-huh. jam them i can make them so you can't communicate but yeah. in this case you want to you want to hear who's who the astronomy is what who, what they're saying and stuff like that you know um once they verified that and all of a sudden like dude, I was like, God, you are amazing, man. Through the Air Force, which I never would say. But yeah, you know, I was like, Oh my gosh, <laughs> man, the sound of that thing and the oh, and to I see bet. the uh to see the uh the lasers on it and identifying clearly who they were and and all that. So so
1: you know so we, did, we did story our thing. Of why yeah. you're saying you should not have been here.
0: No, no, not at all. Not from The second I got out of my vehicle from that, it's just amazing. And the Afghans and the way they worked, the guys, the way they listened, and uh, and uh, just strategically how we were able to place ourselves. But we, you know, when we pushed them back, we we got them on the run, which was crazy because we were. They don't think they realized how small a group we were. You know, Uh, we were going through as far as you can see marijuana fields, and marijuana is taller than me. Not that I'm that tall, but it's, I can't see. Like, I'm going through this thing, and my Afghan, my interpreter, puts himself in front of me as bullets are through this thing like this, you Jeez. know, like flying through it. And I'm yeah. like, I can't see. I don't know who's out there. Like, And I'm like, you've got to get behind me. And for to have an Afghan put his life for yeah. a Westerner like that, we're tight to this day. Like, he's living really? in the United States. He got his freedom through his time interpreting for the U.S. Oh, wow. And uh, he's an awesome guy. I'd love that- to have him. Someday, come up here and oh, yeah, we want to meet time. him. Yeah, he's a fantastic dude. But uh, so, here's a funny story not well, funny in my way, right? Mm-hmm. So, once we're all done, now we get to where we bomb this place and stuff. And now there's like, not to gross everyone now, but there's bodies everywhere. Mm-hmm. I mean, everywhere. Mm-hmm. And I remember sitting there and I'm like, it's not affecting me, which I'm like, that's probably my biggest thing right now is I don't understand why, mm-hmm. right? So, I'm sitting with bodies just everywhere. And uh, I'm hungry now because I haven't eaten, I haven't slept, I haven't done anything in three days. So I grab this giant pomegranate. The biggest pomegranates you find are going to be in Afghanistan. They just taste amazing, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm just laying there. I put my helmet down. I'm just chilling back there. And I look at this kid who's like, that's a great picture, too. I got too many pictures. (laughs) This kid, I'm looking at him, and he's like young as my daughter. Mm -hmm. This dude's got an AK-47. He's smoking cigarettes. There's a pack of cigarettes rolled up in his sleeve. And this dude's in heavy combat like what I'm doing like that. I'm just like, how sad is that to have a child? Like there's no way I'd allow my daughter to be in that that's why I'm here. Yeah. So that she doesn't have to live like yeah. this. And I'm looking at this kid who's like seeing things that I shouldn't even be seeing. Like my guys shouldn't even be seeing. And he was fighting right next to us, man. I mean Did these you were kid was
1: he Afghan or American? He was Afghan. Okay.
0: Yep. He was an Afghan that was fighting for his country. And, uh, side by side with me and I'm just looking at him and he's just like smoking a cigarette. I'm just like, dude, smoke on
1: my man. Yeah. (laughs) Smoke on. (laughs) That's your common language right there. You don't have any ability to talk to him. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's just, uh, the communication was amazing. Even when you can't speak the language. I mean, I learned it pretty good
1: when I was out there, but, um, he's looking at you thinking those pomegranates are good, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, he was,
0: (laughs) but just the, the amount of onslaught and stuff. So again, trying to protect my guys, you know, um, I have to do a battle damage assessment. So I start going through everything. So I put my guys, you know, facing out, you know, and um, going through everything, and I collect all the explosives. I blow them up, and all the, all the, you know, everything that was there, you know, took what we needed. And then uh, I got to go to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Here's the, so I, I go to go to the bathroom, right? And now I had a lot going on, man. Like, my nerves are on edge right now. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, thank you, God, this is all over, right? So I'm going to the bathroom. Yeah. Not to... Of course he went out, right? No. But I'm out, yeah. right? <laughs> Yeah. And all of a sudden I hear Like this And I'm like It's like in, like That was like a rocket Talk about take me right back to it I'm like Like this So I go all over myself You know because yeah. I'm not going to die Out You know what I mean Like, oh. like Here, Here's Dave. Ah. Dave died And yeah. like Oh wow He died with his pants You know what I mean like, Right I don't so want, want to be gross That's awesome but, that, but,
1: that is your thought process At that moment yes, I am yes. not so going I am out like, I'm,
0: like in the, I'm like Where is that coming from You know And I'm like I'm not going to die you know, Yeah Oh So I'm trying not to be I'm Trying to be politically As correct as I can so my, my guy's like, what's wrong? I'm like, where's a rocket come from? He's like, what rocket? I'm like, you didn't just hear that coming? He goes, no, that was my flare kit because we carry flare kits, right? There's, there's a flare kit he sent up so he could let the other teams know to come in where we were. And I'm like, you couldn't tell me? Yeah. Now I'm like, disgusting. Right. I'm like, look at me. Yeah, so these guys were laughing. There was a number of uh, uh, situations like that. But that, you know you tried to make light of a crazy situation and guys had fun with that kind of crazy stuff like that
1: it's interesting that you mentioned that the bodies didn't bother you and sometimes as a believer uh you realize that the body's just a tent yes like in in fbi we had a we had a body recovery for the clarence plane crash Mm -hmm. and i was part of that scene for the evidence response team so we were out there with um with uh, the plane experts, with Buffalo Fire, everything. And I remember the bodies didn't bother me. It's the thought of who they were prior that for, for two weeks following that accident, I, I wouldn't watch the news because I didn't want to know the lives of the people whose tents were sitting there. Yeah, And yeah. I would imagine overseas, like that's the thing, their bodies. And it's really, you're never going to hear who they were prior to that. And you probably would have, I would imagine I was keeping kinda, yourself from even thinking about that.
0: Yeah. The worst part is knowing my guys died. You know what yeah. I mean? Like that was yeah, the harder thing with that. Um, yeah. And I can't, I think it would be worse for me in America to see that because mm-hmm. these are my team. You know what I mean? Like America is my guy, my team, you know? Um, so I think for like law enforcement, when you get into that kind of stuff, I think that's probably the harder struggle. It it was kind of easy for me. There's a lot of hatred overseas it's like i'd be walking like wow these mountains are beautiful you know snow covered all year round like wow and also you know and then like then it just turned to anger and then uh response to that you know who are you to kill my guys you know what Mm -hmm. i mean like um so it was easy for me to kind of write them off as you're just a terrorist thing like that um but on the other side i was you know i couldn't help but think you know any other day if if we were we both are under god's could be under god's grace you know what i mean if we mm-hmm. were on the same page like it yep. wouldn't take i had some good relationships with some guys that were afghan that i would consider brothers you know mm-hmm. um so i just it's i told people never never take lightly i don't care in my team i was like the same thing don't ever take lightly the fact that you took a life you still took a life and uh that was probably my biggest thing and the weird thing is coming back to the u.s is like to have that kind of i hate to use the word freedom But to be able to just respond the way I did, you can't solve problems here in the U.S. like that. So it always intrigues me in my head is like that fine line of, you know, people who've been overseas. How do you how do I compartmentalize that to like go be go be normal again? Are you kidding me? Yeah. It took me three months to train, to go overseas, to see that kind of stuff and put ourselves and live in that environment to to be ready for that. It took five days from a combat zone to. um it was uh, Kyrgyzstan, Kyrgyzstan to Fort Bragg, Fort Bragg to home. And now they're like, my team guys, for the first time in, in a year, I don't know where my guys are because we all went back to families in different locations and stuff like that. And like now I'm like, I don't know where my guys are. <laughs> you know? yep. and, you, and you want me to be normal now? A guy cuts me off and I want to run him off the street. Yeah. Like, what's wrong with me? So I told my guys when you're dealing with like PTSD and stuff, is I told my guys, listen, I'm going to do it. So let's do, let's do this together. Mm-hmm. Let's just go talk to someone. Do it six times and just see what they say. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we did. So uh, I, I said, you know, I've, uh, it's, it's cool. It's okay because over there you see stuff you shouldn't see. I didn't want to see it, and uh, and now we're come back here and you got to be normal. So that's how do you do that? So let's go figure it out. And, Was it uh, good? <laughs> you know what? I love the VA. The VA does a lot. for their people here. I I hear horror stories about the VA hospital. They do, they do a good job. Um, So
1: are they basically working on, so they're, they're trying to, because the word de-escalation comes to my mind when you're talking about this, because you, that is impossible for the human body to go through what you went through and then come over and instantly transition to normal. So there's a de-escalation period that has to be done proper. And healthy it's no different than an officer who's been engaged in a critical incident and we lack we lack the ability the proper work to de-escalate these officers
0: yes so the so they do the best they can right as far as i'm concerned you need christians in those environments you need what you created to be honest with you i I cannot stress that enough that's why i instantly uh, appreciated and liked what you came up with because that's that's noble and it's needed because this is what happens. I got guys that I knew that were going through the, you know, the counseling and these are some high speed guys and I couldn't understand his words. He was speaking, he was using a cane. He was like, a, like I don't, I was a shell of himself. I'm like, who are you? Mm-hmm. Cause they had them on all kinds of, they, they, they put a name to it and they put a drug to it. Ugh. And now you combine that with alcohol and whatever else. And like, you've got someone who is like, Oh, you can't sleep. Take this. Oh, you're having uh, this do this. And you're in this like, they, I get what they're trying to do, but when you don't, when you don't have God in your life, you, you how do you come up with an answer for that? Yeah. Cause if I didn't, I, you know, I don't know how I would process what I, what I've seen. So I think I think it's paramount. I think that's what's amazing with your program that you've got that you guys have together here under op Overwatch because it's so important. Um, I learned uh, something cuz I'm very analytical for myself. I want to know why I'm whacked out. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like I want to know why when I'm driving down the street some guy cuts me off and I want to drive up to him and run him off the street. Like yeah. and I don't know who he is. So
1: I'm like for all that's those not that right. live in the western New York area. We're going to let you know what Dave drives so that you don't is, cut him off.
2: It's actually pretty easy to identify. As yeah.
1: vehicle, it I'm is. Like, sh- don't cut that vehicle off. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, no. So,
0: <laughs> so it took a while, but I was like, but I recognize it. So just recognizing it alone was enough for me to say, you know, this isn't Kansas anymore.
1: Well, you said it earlier, and is this what you recognize? You just said a few minutes ago that you can't handle the problems over here like you could over there. Over there, you kill them. Yeah. I mean, over there, they're the enemy, and that's your plan. But over here, you can't do that that's not how we handle problems over yeah so, yeah so it's 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 learning mediation
0: so this is what they taught me and i hope your listeners are listening because if i can give you any good advice it's what helped me um out of all the stuff i do because you know what i don't like going into a table with all people like me and listening to us all rehash the garbage that we saw okay like i'll never forget it you'll never forget what you saw or you'll never forget it and i don't know that I need to, I'm not even asking for that because it made me who I am and I, I need to understand that, you know, yes, I saw this kind of stuff and, uh, and I have to, you know, live with that and understand it, you know. Um, but, you know, to sit there and talk about, it, talk about it, I was just like, I left, and every time I left there, I was like, more mad. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But the one thing that was mm-hmm. told to me that helped me through it all was this. I was, before I went over there, I was a, a, an adrenaline junkie. I drive my crotch rocket 120 miles an hour down uh, next to ECC, down up to uh, BB Road, and jump out of a plane. And so I take my helmet off, get off the motorcycle, have my, my parachute was already on, and I go to the plane, jump out, do t- you know 230 miles an hour in there you know, and then come back on, put my helmet on, driving like, and I was like, this is like amazing, man. I don't need to do drugs. Yeah. This is great, yeah. right? Then I go overseas, and uh, every day. You're like, oh, this is beautiful, and like now you get, you someone's trying to kill you. Uh-huh. So that all of a sudden now your heart rate goes up, that adrenaline goes up, and you you're associating that adrenaline with death every single day. And now what they're saying is, is now your body, if I cut you off, that adrenaline spike, yeah, as small as it may be, instantly triggers fight for your life. Huh? And I was like, Oh wow, that's no one's ever explained that to me. Yeah. And so they said, like, so now what you got to do is because you spent a year of that is you got to change your dendrites, right? So like, my daughter took. Hope she's not going to be listening to this right now. She took violin. I was like, that was the worst sounding instrument I ever heard. I instantly regretted violin. Right? Really? Yeah. You know, well, yeah. I guess if you're not when they're, they're first at learning it, it, I'm like, uh huh? Really? All right. And then all of a sudden, you got this note, and you're like. Did you hear that? Yeah. And my wife's like, what? I'm like, that peaceful sound. <laughs> <laughs> right? So that was a dendrite, right? That was like a boom. She hits it. She knows it. Then all of a sudden I hear,
2: you know,
0: like perfect sounds, right? Uh-huh. Like two of them now. So what you're doing is she's building block and she's rechanging and she's learning step by step um, how to play that instrument to where now she could can play Canon and D, the most beautiful sound I've ever heard. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. But it took... Retraining that. So when I went overseas, what was used to be good adrenaline was associated now. Any spike in adrenaline was fight for your life, yeah. instant anger, instant put the dude down, and and be like, you know, and your heart rate's just like everything, you know. But it was all associated in a bad way. So I told my guys, listen, we had a, we had a, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Rules of engagement overseas, right? Mm-hmm. We all worked in it. We weren't crazy overseas. We knew. What our rules were, and we fought within those rules. Now you're back in the U.S. You have a different rules of engagement. You, this is where we're at. You're not a, you're not crazy. We're just not. We're in a different block. You know what I mean?
1: So like, that's the answer. That's what I was going to ask you. How do you retrain mm-hmm. that physiological reaction?
0: It takes time, and you have to want it, and you have to recognize it. It's you know?
1: training new rules of engagement.
0: Yep. Huh. Totally. because my guys aren't crazy. They're not. I put my life on them. Overseas, we were they were great, and then all of a sudden you come home and you're like psycho. No, it's not true. Yeah, the world wants to put a label on you, and right. you're you're trying to figure it all out now because we actually can sit and think about it now. You know, we didn't overseas.
1: That's huge. I'm writing that down, Dave, because we. I mean, don't no, no, hold Well, without Overwatch, everything everything we encounter is dealing with PTS, mm-hmm. and this retraining rules of engagement is a brilliant way to state things and to attack things.
0: Yeah. uh, You have to be able to self, you have to recognize that you, something's not right. So just, just to recognize it. Yeah.
1: It's even like you even take it to a level of an officer, adrenaline flowing all day on the job, city officer. And now they come home. There's two different rules of engagement between what you're dealing with on the street and what you're dealing with in an argument with your wife or a disagreement with your child at home Yeah, Yeah. and teaching. That's brilliant. Yeah, you I'm get, stealing it.
0: Yeah, and, and compartmentalizing. You're learning to put certain things aside so that you can focus on what you're doing, and then you can bring that back out and address those different things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so PTSD is not something to be afraid of. I think that's the biggest thing for people. And I, I'm just the kind of guy, I don't care, man. But you know, when you talk about PTSD here with your officers, I would imagine, I'm not one, but I would imagine that if I said, hey, I, I, something's not right, I'm going to be afraid now as soon as I say that, that someone's taken my badge, someone's taken my gun, right. I want to be labeled this, and I'm, I'm here to tell you guys, you need to, A, don't be afraid of it. Yep. Address it because it's very real. And that doesn't mean even when you fill out your pistol permit application, they're looking for the guy wearing a tin foil hat going. Zzz. Yeah, they're out to get me. <laughs> you know <what laughs> yeah. I mean? Like I've interviewed a few. PTSD of those guys is fine. You're not going to lose everything. Just, a, just it's cool to go and do that because you've seen things that people shouldn't see, and you need to. Yep. It's okay.
1: It's why actually, uh, some pe- I don't I don't think it's viewed as disrespectful. I actually think it's viewed as respectful. When we talk about it, we take the D off because it's not a disorder. Mm -hmm. It's, it's a, it's a natural physiological reaction to the trauma that you've experienced. And the more that you embrace the normalness of that abnormality, the more that you can conquer it. It's not getting rid of it. It's not defeating it. It's knowing that is, it is a normal reaction. And so you're, you're training yourself as to why that reaction, understanding why the reaction takes place, but then yeah. understanding how to, how to live with that reaction and not try to run from it your whole life. The ones that go off the deep end are the ones that, that end up with suicide are the ones that are spend their entire life running from it, medicated, running from it, and they just can't win. So I'm done running from it. Yeah. The, the final end is I'm going to do the world a favor and I'm going to remove myself. But, but you just know that the Lord's going to put people listening to this that need to hear what you said today, because You don't run. You don't run from this. It's not a disorder. This is a natural reaction to the trauma that people go through. Military, law enforcement, you go through this trauma more than anybody in the world goes through it. Don't run from it. It is natural. So learn to embrace it. Learn to live with it. Don't eliminate that disorder. Stop thinking that there's something wrong with you because it feels abnormal the abnormal is normal and that's we see victory obviously Christ above all Christ will will bring peace and will bring newness to you and will will actually what what Jesus Christ will do is he'll take this trauma and he'll turn it and he'll use it for good it'll be a powerful weapon but even without Christ you do not have a disorder this yeah. is this is natural you 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 cope with this being in communication with people who walk through it with you and, and teach you new rules of engagement and how to live with this rather than running from it.
0: Yeah, we're, we're all on the same page. Let's do it together. Let's mm-hmm. heal. The, um, so like law enforcement right now, I, I tell people, I don't know why you want to be a cop, right? The world, world is like defund you. Uh, we're recording you. Every second is going to be judged in the two seconds you had to make a decision for life and death, you know? And so that, that I, for a law enforcement officer, it's got to be very frustrating and I and I feel for you. Um, but like, like what I love about your, what you've guys what you guys have going on here is that if you have your identity in your badge, you're going to, you're going to feel the personal attacks from, from the world, mm-hmm. but you have an important mission. When I was overseas, everyone hated me. The only identity I had was my team. And if I put my identity on my team, then I'm like the law enforcement. Like when I get home, I'm like, why, you know, I'm faced with all that. But my identity is through Christ, so he carried me through this. And so when, when – because everyone hated me in the military as far as my I, – I lived for a year with pure hate and want to kill me specifically. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And um, so I mm-hmm. can't have an identity. And, and people who do have an identity as, oh, you're, a, you're in special operations, you're military, whatever, you're a killer, you're a baby killer, like, a, like the Vietnam vets and stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, like if, if your identity is in that – you'll never get through it. Mm-hmm. Your identity through Christ. He's with you the whole time. And that's who that, that is what I feel makes me stand out from a lot of people's only, only because of the grace of God.
1: I think that's a great point to end on for today because we, I love you, man. We just talked for an hour and 20 minutes straight and it felt like 10 minutes it really did and, we'll
0: do, and I let, me, let me wake up brett real quick yeah <laughs>
1: but we we haven't even entered into your federal career and and our discussions on what you do now which is so important and and even future with the gun range and yeah. the partnership with us and all that so we're gonna we're gonna have to, yeah, someday we'll get back yeah, into it we'll get together and we'll talk yeah. about that soon so uh we're gonna just wrap this up right now thanks for joining us and um we'll see you we'll hear you on the next podcast. Thanks for listening to the Op Overwatch podcast. For more information about the ministry of Op Overwatch, please visit opoverwatch.org. We hope you enjoyed this new episode, and if you did, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast. Please share this episode with others who might be interested in this topic. Also, feel free to let us know what topics you'd like to see covered in future episodes. Just get in touch on any
0: of the Op Overwatch social media pages.